The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So clearly, um, for almost all of us, there is a lot moving right now, and especially those um, here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, but also other major urban areas where there's a lot moving, a lot of pain around George Floyd's death and all that has set in motion. So it's useful to just acknowledge the intensity of that. And just keeping open to the possibility that when things are moving and when things are intense, that there's this possibility of not being confused. Doesn't mean we understand it or that we can describe even to ourselves what I'm feeling or what I should do, but that we trust whatever's moving here in our bodies and in our hearts and in our minds, that I can be with that movement. I don't have to tighten up around it and I don't even have to define it for myself. And it's really important to stabilize if we can around it so we can really meet and in a more direct way, just acknowledge that we're touched by the death of George Floyd. Because we, of course, it's so obvious how, obvious to me and I think to many of us, how this is just the next, you know, the next death of a black man. And just the, exposes this truth of the systemic centuries-long disregard and uh, injustice for black people in America. And it's, you know, as a white person, it's deeply humiliating to know that I'm part of this. And, you know, all of us, we're all in the soup. And uh, we have to acknowledge being in this soup, this world, this society that we grew up in, many of us at least, people who grew up here. And the first step isn't to panic or to get identified with the humiliation, but to learn how to include it all. First and foremost, so we can grieve and feel the loss of this one person and to let that, what that exposes, like these systemic problems in our society, to allow it then, hopefully, to lead to some real change. Not that I expect that things are going to change dramatically, although I hold that as a real possibility. But more likely, it's going to be this chipping away at all the ways that <clears throat> our minds and hearts stay in denial and are afraid of really feeling what's moving here. And it's so easy to want to point blame at the police officers and the killing, the murder that happened and the turning away or the not intervening of the other officers or to point and blame the rioters and the people who have started fires and have done other kinds of destructive actions instead of probably more usefully seeing those dramatic painful actions as more of the symptoms 
of what remains mostly unseen and unfelt that's been brewing there mostly under the surface for a long, long time. And if we just react to these obvious symptoms, the killings, the next killing, whatever, wherever, whenever that happens, and the next reaction to the killing, whatever that looks like, if we just look at the symptoms, then we, in a way, we um, find another way to avoid looking at what needs to be looked at. And in this way, I think this work of looking at racial injustice and how we're all racialized beings, like it or not, we keep avoiding that work. And I really see it as central to the work of awakening. There is no awakening, you know, in terms of the Buddha's, the Buddha pointing to real freedom in the midst of our messy lives, our embodied lives, our lives filled with relationships and feel filled with power issues and navigating all of that. But there's no freedom there in our lives. There's no justice in our wider world unless we do the work of seeing what we're not seeing. And that's really the, the practice that we undertake. And it begins with this humility that we, we acknowledge that we're not feeling and seeing everything. And then, unfortunately, what gets our attention is when things explode in the ways they've been exploding, whether through some terrible act of killing, murder, or some response, reaction to that terrible act of killing and murder with the rioting and the fires. And I'm not in any way justifying, don't want to justify any of that destructive behavior. But it's, it's happened. It's already real. So the question is, what do, what do we, each of us, do with the reality of all of that? How do we meet it? How do we feel it here in our bodies, in our lives, in our communities? So that we're digesting it, in a sense, in a way that helps us see what we're not seeing. That is the only thing to do with terrible experience terrible actions, is to turn it into a cause for seeing what we're not seeing and learning and moving forward from there. So we don't use these painful, terrible experiences to reinforce our patterns of denial and distraction and doing the same thing and getting the same results until the next thing breaks through, leaks through, explodes through. And we, you know, do our normal dance, which is catastrophizing, blaming, denying, thinking it's somebody else's problem, trying to close it all down to get back to what we imagine is normal. And one of the real ad advantages for being a student of the Buddha is the teachings of the Buddha tell us over and over again, as much as we want solid ground to stand on. We don't really have solid ground to stand on. We have this very alive and real dance of the present moment. And we have to learn to tolerate the intensity and the wildness and the painfulness and the raw beauty of that. 
or we can spend our lives walling ourselves off in our distractedness, in our fixed ideas, in our opinions, and feel deadened because of that route. That is the path that the Buddha would describe, the ordinary sort of consensual path of, you know, delusion and ordinary reality where we use consumerism and self-righteousness and tribalism and other sort of fundamentalist fixed views. Remember, Buddhism can be a fundamentalist fixed view too, so I'm not pointing fingers at any sort of faith tradition or any sort of ideology, right? Because basically anything can be used to separate ourselves from the aliveness and the painfulness of being real and learning and growing and becoming more free, more capable of real love and compassion in that wild place. And I think that's the real invitation and really the best way to honor all the suffering and and in particular the death of George Floyd is to not let it be a cause for this, you know, tightening down the causes for suffering and oppression, but the loosening up. And, you know, when things start to move, it can be messy. I don't know if you heard uh, the press conference with the governor and Keith Ellison, Minnesota's attorney general, um, a couple days ago, but Keith Ellison, who many of you know, used to be our congressperson for many years here in Minneapolis area, and now the Minnesota State Attorney General. Uh, He quoted or paraphrased Martin Luther King, where he said, riot is the way that the unheard get heard. And he didn't condone it, Martin Luther King didn't condone it, but he said to the nation, so of course this is back in the 60s, as a person who always protested peacefully, that don't just dismiss that and ignore it and relegate it to just criminality and bad behavior. Behavior. Ask, Actually ask yourself, what's going on there? And is it something that we as a society ap- absolutely must pay attention to? To think that we must pay attention to it. And I noticed, you know, when the word started going around, oh, the fire starting, the rioting is really from outsiders, people not from our community. And you hear some people say it's, you know, the left extremist or the right white supremacist coming into town. Well, who knows? And it's probably all kinds of different things. But regardless of the particular person doing the particular act of destruction, what we know What we know about the whole thing, including the police killing an unarmed black man, what we know is this is the expression of innumerable causes and conditions. And the question is, can we be curious about that? Like, why is it like this? What am I not feeling and seeing here? What is my mind particularly conditioned to be unaware of? to not see clearly, 
because of how culture has conditioned my heart to be unaware of how racism works, to be unaware of the criminal justice system that we take for granted is, you know, fine the way that it is. Doesn't need strong um, democratic response to look deeply at what isn't being seen. And we're all so busy and, uh, you know, we have this chronic attitude, I know I do, of like, I'm busy and I can't look at everything and I can't respond to everything and there's some truth to that and that's also a way things continue on over and over again. One of the things that, you know, will come to light as we continue to do this work of trusting what's showing up in our heart, what's asking to move, this curiosity, it's not like we actually have to go in there with a pick and shovel to see what we're not seeing. Whatever is moving, it wants that space of awareness to move in. We just have to stop you know, our addiction to distraction and superficiality <clears throat> and seeing things the way we've been conditioned to see them. We just have to let the fixed views naturally fall away. There's a powerful passage that um, Jack Kornfield quoted in one of his books from Alice Miller, the author. I'm not sure where this was written, but Alice Miller writes, the truth of our childhood is stored up in our body. So I would like to, I'm going to read more, but this stored up in our society, stored up in the body of our communities, right? The truth of our childhood is stored up in our body. The truth of our past, like our racial past in this country, is stored up in our the body of our community. And although we can repress it, we can never alter it. Our intellect can be deceived, our feelings manipulated, our conceptions confused, and our body tricked with medication, like the medication of consumerism. But someday our body will present its bill, for it is as incorruptible as a child who, still whole in spirit, will accept no compromise or excuses and it will not stop tormenting us until we stop evading the truth. And again, I'm not, and I don't think any wise leaders are justifying destruction, rioting, just like hopefully nobody's justifying the killing of an unarmed black person by the police. But our job is to see and feel, because it's already the way that it is. Things are moving in the way they have been moving these last few days. And again, as I said earlier, the useful question is, what do I do what's moving out there, and what do I do what's moving here in my heart? What do I do about that? How do I relate to that? 
And that, and in that way, we begin to trust that whatever hasn't been ventilated, whatever hasn't been seen, whatever we as a community have kept hidden, and whatever I as an individual have kept hidden and unseen, like my fears, my biases, my unseen, unacknowledged conditioning around class and race and sex and any other number of ways my heart has been conditioned here in this culture. Right? We need to develop that capacity to stand, to be balanced in the intensity of that exposure. And I, I really like that statement, um, can we learn to stand the heat? Can we learn to remain balanced and curious even when things are intense? And remember, a lot of the intensity isn't because, you know, there's this thing kind of shocking us. A lot of the intensity arises because we're losing our ground of certainty. Like we don't know, and that's intense. We know that we don't know. We know that we don't know the whole truth about what's moving here. Why are things the way that they are? So a lot of it is allowing the pretend certainty that we've been living with to fall away and reveal a more raw, humble, and maybe even shameful, at times at least, feeling like, I realize I was just pretending to know and I don't really know. One of my teachers, Saida Utejaniya, this Burmese, Buddhist monk and meditation teacher. Um, and he was asked recently, I mentioned this in a previous talk, about how people should respond in a time of pandemic. And he said that there's only one thing we do. We're not practicing actually to directly fix or take care of the problems at hand in our lives. We're practicing to see clearly so we so the fixing, the skillful response will flow from that breadth and depth of awareness. The violence arises because our hearts are disconnected. So, you know, as the Buddha said, the response to violence isn't to be angry or to be tight the famous passage in the Dhammapada, this collection of verses goes something like, hatred never ceases through hatred. This is an eternal truth. Hatred never ceases through hatred, but through love alone. This is the eternal truth. So how do we, in opening to the way that it is and seeing what we see, how do we find a way in that opening, and it may take some time. It may, we may need each of us in our each 
yeah, a specific location and conditioning, we have to find a way to meet what is moving until we're not responding or reacting with hate or with fear. And of course it's going to show up over and over again, that fear and that hate. So by not immediately trying to move, okay, I should be equanimous, or I should be compassionate, or I should be, and fill in the blank. It's more like I'm resolving to see clearly. I'm, in, uh, I'm resolving to feel deeply. I'm resolving to be able to tolerate the ambiguity and the uncertainty and everything that might be moving and it's interesting, isn't it, when we do that better, when we get better at doing that, we're all over the place. You know, sometimes in moments what's moving is something that is really ugly, you know, in terms of like, I don't trust what's moving, but there it is. I'm really angry, I really want to destroy, hit back, or whatever. Sometimes what's moving is quite beautiful and saintly and totally trustworthy. And sometimes the mind is, we notice the mind is just checked out. It just, you know, wants a hamburger or, you know, just like wants a movie or gets obsessed about something silly and relatively unimportant. And that's how it is. But we just want to keep including, keep including, keep including all the ways. We just need to see it. Because all those habits of deflection and those habits of reaction those habits of justifying violence, right? I mean, it just would be interesting for all of us to share the innumerable ways we justified hate in the last week. You know, condemning hate with hate, condemning violence with violence, all the ways. And just shedding light how that just feeds the beast, you know, the oppressive beasts that we're living with now and all of the seeds that have been planted. And this is really the deep, deep truths of our lives. Um, several of us at the center, uh, a bunch of us uh, male leaders have been leading a masculinity community circle now for a couple of years. We do it couple times a year, Louis Alameyu and Malik Watkins and Omkar and Rob and Gabe Keller was part of it for a while. And we meet and we do our own work trying to understand our own conditioning as men or as people who identify uh, as masculine in this world and all that, the complexity of what that means and what does it mean to be a skillful person who identifies as a male these days. And recently the group of leaders met with a friend of Lewis who was uh, had worked for many years in the state prison system and in particular worked with sex offenders, a really wise person and just sharing what they've learned as we try to unpack our own experience of aggression and uh, violence and just how that moves, how we see it moving in our own lives and hearts in little, and sometimes not so little ways. 
And, and Jerry, this person, shared with us this powerful teaching, and just please excuse, I'm going to use the word shit, just because it, it kind of fits this um, little teaching, powerful teaching. So this is this teaching that Jerry had picked up over the years of his work. It goes like this. If a person continues to eat shit, they eventually end up full of shit. Once they're full of shit, they can't take no more shit. Once they can't take no more shit, they start giving people shit. And, you know, we can think of shit, in this case, in a lot of different ways, like the shit of white supremacy and just the way our culture conditions us all around race, around class around body size and shape, around gender and sex, and so many other of these spectrums. And that the delusion, the ignorance, the fear, the sort of um, holding on to power that these patterns of conditioning represent, that's the shit that we've been fed. And we become conditioned by that shit, we become full of that shit. And then eventually we can't, that tightness of those fixed ideas become, whether we're aware of it or not, they are a cause for suffering, all of us. Nobody is exempt from racism in our culture. And so then each of us in our, each in our particular way, we begin giving out shit because that's the only thing we have you know, our mind, our way of seeing, our ways of responding come out of that conditioning. And the ongoingness of this all is what we call in Buddhism samsara, the cycles of suffering that just have their nature to repeat themselves. Suffering causing suffering, causing more suffering. I really liked how Shelley on Wednesday, last Wednesday night, Shelley gave a very powerful talk responding to the suffering that's moving here in the Twin Cities with the death of George Floyd and all that's followed from that. And near the end of the talk, uh, Shelley, the Common Grounds Associate Director and the other staff Dharma teacher at the center said that uh, just resolving to do something and resolving to do our own work. And I think part of what I've been learning and maybe a lot of us have been learning is that these two things shouldn't be seen as different. Like to act because the heart is touched and moved by what we feel and what we see happening around us, that movement into action from the place of hum humility, like I don't know how to take care of this problem but I move to respond. I move to do something. So the heart, the mind, is sensitive for how it might contribute. What one thing, not later, but what one thing now might be helpful. And then that so-called inner work, doing our own work, unpacking our own conditioning, understanding, in my case, what it means to be white, what it means to be male, being conditioned the way 
this heart mind has been conditioned in this culture through these years getting curious about that like having the humility to, to you know to begin to uh, realize and relax into like yeah i'm part of this i'm not a part it's not like the society is sick over there the society is messed up over here i see it i see what's wrong and always placing locating the problem out there like we're here together you know the con we are conditioned together with this i had a conversation with one of kamgran's teachers who's moving out to LA to begin his residency some of you know Femi Kenanabe he called me from Utah on his long drive to LA where he's going to do his residency and uh he was talking about um yeah this this sort of work of acknowledging and um responding from this place and uh not having a fixed view of what it needs to look like but really letting it like really inhabiting our particular location and letting the response come from being connected with the world we're in and part of that that humility that allows us to sort of do the work where we're at is realizing that um this life is our actions is the sort of movement of action and my actions the way i'm showing up now is really the fruit how i relate right now is the fruit of how i related in the past and by illuminating my own patterns of how i show up how i turn away how i deny how i distract how i fixate with you know some fixed view some self-righteous view by illuminating my ways of relating to the present moment with wisdom and awareness then there's a hope for change then i then my mind my heart isn't destined just to repeat the patterns that have already been established so this mindful awareness is not a weak or feeble sort of or way of avoiding the real work that needs to be done it really contributes to the work that's being done we're destined to repeat you know the ignorant patterns that have already been established in our hearts unless we see the ignorant patterns that have been established in our hearts in real time as we're showing up and i think this really is that marriage of act how can i contribute to the healing how can i find a way to let my heart that has been touched by suffering to let my heart respond in some smaller big way how we marry that with how do i do my own work because the two really need each other it's hard for me to do my own work if until i really see the consequence of not doing my work because we see it in our relationships we see it in our intimate relationships we see it in our relationship with our body 
and we see it with the suffering that's out there, the injustice that's out there in our world, in our in our communities. So that the um, terrible and painful stuff we see in the world reminds us there's work to do here. And the work that we do here, the unpacking, the developing, the tolerance, the capacity to be balanced with the heat of what we see here helps us be balanced, equanimous and clear with the heat we feel when we're getting pushback or when we're afraid to speak up and say what needs to be said or keep quiet. Before I wrap it up, I wanted to reread um, the quote that uh, Shelley and some of the leaders sent out to the whole community in the weekly email or in a, a Google a MailChimp email that we sent out a couple days ago to everybody, just addressing the pain that's moving in our wider community. And um, we quoted from a local healer, author, and just a wise person in our community, a person of color, Resma uh, Menachem, who wrote a wonderful book, My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathways to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. And he writes in this book, Clean pain is the pain that mends and builds your capacity for growth. It's the pain you experience when you know exactly what you need to say or do, when you really, really don't want to say or do it, and when you do it anyway. It's also the pain you experience when you have no idea what to do, when you're scared or worried about what might happen, and when you step forward into the unknown anyway with honesty and vulnerability. Accepting clean pain will allow white Americans to confront their long-time collective disassociation and silence. It will enable African Americans to confront their internalization of defectiveness and self-hate. And then a little later, dirty pain is the pain of avoidance, blame and denial. When people respond from their most wounded parts, become cruel or violent or physically or emotionally run away, they experience dirty pain. And they also create more of it for themselves and others. And so this is sort of the place we're at now, each of us in our own particular way. I'm not saying it's the same what we're experiencing, what we're feeling. But there's pain. And it's either going to be dirty pain, right, which we react to in those predictable ways that set in motion more pain and suffering for ourselves and for others. Or we use the very real, unavoidable pain of our human existence, our messy existence. And here in the United States, our particular pain and trauma around race, we either use that to walk this path of awakening, seeing what we're not seeing with humility and learning to stand the heat of that work and to learn to sense the very real pleasure. I know that's a 
kind of a strange word at this time, but there's something deeply right and liberating. Now this is a subtle healing pleasure, liberating pleasure of doing the right thing, feeling opening to what's asking to be seen and felt and relaxed with so that things can move. And not to be surprised by like whatever might show up that feels, you know, there may be some real rage of not wanting to do this work, not wanting to acknowledge this stuff, wanting to blame others to locate the problem outside of ourselves. But the truth is, it's being felt here. It's being seen here. Can we be curious about that reactivity and what's underneath it? Can we keep looking? Can we presume, learn to presume that we haven't seen everything that needs to be seen, haven't felt everything that needs to be felt? So I want to end with a, a really important sutta discourse from the Buddha where I think he talks about what I mentioned last week with this article from Joanna Macy, where she made this really important point, like as our practice deepens, we're moving from a typical conditioned relationship with power, like wanting power over things. Even in terms of our own bad habits, I want power over my bad habits. I want power over the things that are sort of threatening, seem to be threatening me. And then, of course, that sets up this dualistic, who has power, who's the victim, who doesn't have power. How real healing, individually, collectively, is moving from that understanding of power, the power in terms of domination, to this she calls power with, this collective and integrated, um, inclusive sense of power. And I would call this power with love. And I remember a passage, I don't know it by heart, from Martin Luther King, who talks about love without power is anemic. Power without love, he says, is something, I don't know what words he used, but power without love is oppressive, something like that. But marrying power and love is what's powerfully healing, can do the work of justice and the work of liberation in this deepest spiritual sense. So this passage is uh, translated the title, The Thorn in Your Heart. And the Buddha supposedly said something like, fear is born from arming oneself. Just see how many people fight. I tell you about the dreadful fear that caused me to shake all over, seeing creatures flopping around like fish in water too shallow so hostile to one another. Seeing this, I became unafraid. I became afraid. Seeing this world, com- seeing that this world completely lacks ess- essence, it trembles in all directions. I longed to find myself a place unscathed, but I could not see it. Seeing people locked in conflict, I became completely distraught. But then I discerned here a thorn, hard to see, lodged deep in this heart. It's only when pierced pierced by this thorn that one runs in all directions. So if that thorn is taken out, one does not run. 
and settles down. And that's our work. And that's what allows us to show up in our big, wonderful, beautiful, and terribly messy, unjust world, is doing this work of recognizing the thorn in our own hearts. And I'm wishing everybody safety and all of us the deepest healing, and in particular for George Floyd's family and his friends and all the people, of course, deeply troubled, appropriately troubled and hurt by that death and killing. So wishing everybody ease in life. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.